Turning God's Word this morning, first of all, to Hebrews chapter 6. I'll read some verses from Hebrews 6, and then we will turn to James chapter 5. We read these verses this morning in connection with the Hedeberg Catechism's treatment of the subject of swearing an oath, which is to call upon God's name to bear witness of the truth. So as we read through these verses, I encourage you to look for God's instruction about swearing an oath. Let's start at Hebrews 6, verse 10 and read through the end of the chapter. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, He obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's turn now to James chapter 5. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord, of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts 
as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Thus far we read from God's holy and inerrant word. May God add His blessing upon the reading of His holy scriptures. It's on the basis of these passages of scriptures and many others as well that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 37. May we then swear religiously by the name of God, yes, either when the magistrates demand it of the subjects, or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. For such an oath is founded on God's word, and therefore was justly used by the saints both of the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or any other creatures? No, 
For a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart, that he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 37 really is a further development and explanation of a specific application of the previous Lord's Day. The previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 36, taught us about the use of the name of God, the third commandment. We are not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And so last week we looked at that third commandment, what that commandment reveals to us about God, and then how we are properly to use His holy name. But before the catechism moves to the next commandment, fourth commandment, teaching us about the Lord of the Sabbath, there is an interlude between the third and fourth commandments. And this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 37 now, teaches us about a specific use, a specific application of our using the name of God. And that specific application is calling upon His name to swear a religious oath. May we then, question 101, swear religiously by the name of God? Yes, the testimony of the Reformed faith is. So let's look this morning then at religious swearing. First we'll see the necessity of it. Why is it that we may and do swear oaths? Second, the manner of religious swearing. And then third, the effect of it. Why is it that we swear oaths? What is the necessity of of it. If your experience is anything similar to mine as as I prepared for this sermon and reflected on the thought of swearing an oath, it became very abundant to me that abundantly clear to me that this is not something that we think about very much. We don't generally live day by day under the awareness of oaths that we have sworn. There are certain outstanding events in our lives where an oath is sworn. And then at times like that, then we pause and reflect on the significance and gravity of swearing an oath. But as a general rule, the Christian does not spend a significant amount of time thinking about swearing oaths. So why? 
from a practical point of view, why even devote one of the Lord's days unto this subject of swearing an oath? But there's even a more basic question to ask, not just out of our natural curiosity of why we swear oaths, but there also is this question, is it even appropriate for us to swear an oath? And that's the direction that the catechism goes. The catechism catechism asks in 101, may we then swear religiously by the name of God? Is it permissible for me to swear an oath? And that is, I believe, an important question to face. Important to face because there are Scripture passages which, if not properly understood in their context, would seem to indicate that the Word of God prohibits us from swearing an oath. We read one of those passages which at face value, might seem to prohibit the swearing of an oath. That's James 5, verse 12. We read there, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. And this instruction that James gives to us is consistent with the instruction that Jesus Christ gives unto us in the Sermon on the Mount. We didn't read this this morning, but Matthew chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount, gives unto us further instruction about swearing an oath. Jesus says, Matthew 5 verse 34, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And so there are some then who, in light of these passages of Scripture, reach the conclusion that it is inappropriate, unbiblical, for a Christian to swear an oath. Anabaptists, Quakers are a couple of religious groups that abstain from swearing any type of an oath. How do we understand this, these passages then? It's helpful for us to understand about both Matthew chapter 5 as well as what James gives us in James 5 is that they are speaking here about the character of the citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5 is describing for us what we might say is the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ is giving unto us what are the rules for those who are the citizens of the kingdom And Jesus Christ is describing what is the character of those who are the citizens within that heavenly kingdom. Just as in the United States we have the Constitution which governs over us, 
So Jesus Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, was giving unto His disciples the constitution that would rule over them. What Jesus Christ is describing here is the standard. This is what it will be like when at last God brings us into our heavenly kingdom. This is what perfection looks like within the kingdom of heaven. And what is it then that Jesus Christ says should characterize or will characterize those who are citizens of that kingdom of heaven? Honesty. Integrity. Uprightness. Describes those who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. There should be such a high standard of honesty and integrity in the, within the kingdom of heaven that there is no need even to swear an oath. Everybody's word is dependable. And that's what James says as well in James 5, let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay. And so at last, when God takes us from off this earth into paradise, the heavenly kingdom, there will no longer be a need to swear oaths anymore. Because everybody at all times will speak the truth. Why then is it necessary for us on this earth to swear oaths from time to time? It's exactly because of our fallen nature. It is because we forget that we are citizens of that kingdom of Jesus Christ, that it is necessary for us to swear oaths. These six things, yea, seven, the Lord hates a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Of the seven things that God hates, as listed out in Proverbs chapter 6, three of them relate to the use of the tongue. It is because man is fallen, and his yea is not always yea, and his nay 
is not always nay. That it has become necessary for man to swear oaths, calling upon the name of the Lord. So oaths are made then, not regarding things which are certain, not regarding things which already are known and are abundantly obvious and clear, but oaths are made with regard to things that are uncertain, things that are not known. It's areas where we cannot or it's difficult to determine what is the truth that then man swears an oath. And so sometimes it's necessary for us to swear an oath with regard to what has happened previously. If there is dispute, if there is disagreement over what happened in the past, and it's not abundantly clear what did indeed happen, it could be necessary then in that situation that the two parties who are involved in a dispute both swear an oath in order to help reveal what is the truth of a matter. This happens even in the secular court. In the, in, in the courtroom, the judge calls for the witness to come forward. And that witness, then, as he comes forward, is going to give his testimony of what he observed happened. And that witness, then, swears an oath that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's not with regard to things certain, things that are already known, that we swear oaths, but it is with regard to things unknown in a search for truth that then we swear an oath. The same can and does happen from time to time in the church. If there is a dispute between members of the congregation, if there is a dispute even between a husband and a wife, The husband says, this is what happened. And the wife says, this is what happened. And there were no eyewitnesses to be able to tell what did indeed happen. It can be necessary at times like that for the consistory to require of both the husband and the wife that they swear an oath, calling upon God Himself to bear witness to the truth about what now they are going to say. And so sometimes it is necessary for us to call upon God's name and swearing an oath to help us understand more clearly what did happen in the past. At other times, we use an oath as we speak about what we intend to do about what we plan to do in the future. Now certainly we do not swear oaths with regard to trivial or light matters. But again, we swear an oath with regard to things that are uncertain, with regard to things that are unknown. 
And there are some things that we might intend to do, that we want to do, but for one reason or another, it's uncertain or unclear if we will perform that which we intend to do. Take, for example, marriage. When a man and a woman come together, it is the intention of that husband to be faithful to his wife. And it is the intention of the wife to be faithful to her husband. But how many marriages do not end in divorce? Broken. Where the husband is unfaithful to the wife, or the wife is unfaithful to the husband. And so it is then with serious, grave matters where there can be a level of uncertainty about what is going to happen in the future, man swears an oath. You understand, of course, that the necessity of this is the devil. It's because the devil works very hard on husbands not to be faithful to their wives. Works hard on wives not to love their husbands, to submit and to be a help, meet for them. That it's necessary then that we swear an oath. Church membership. How many people do not say when they are young, I love the church and I'll never leave the church. And then just a few years later, they're gone. Raising up children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. How many parents don't have the best of intentions that they are going to raise this child in the best possible way. But then there comes the devil working very hard on parents to become angry, impatient toward their children. And so we swear an oath at baptism that we will raise this child up in the fear and knowledge of Jehovah God. We swear oaths, not with regard to things that are certain, but with regard to things that are uncertain. We do this, beloved, and we speak of this this morning to serve as an encouragement unto us. For those who are married and who experience the devil working very hard within your marriage. Remember that oath that you have sworn that you will faithfully assist one another in things that belong to this life and the better. For those of you who are parents who feel that you are being tested to the max every single day, And you look back on the day and see 
your shortcomings as a parent. Remember the oath that you have swore. For those who are members of the church, but who are starting to see more and more weaknesses of the church and wonder why this church. Grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. Why don't I join that church? Not as many problems in the church down the road. Remember that oath that you swore when you made confession of faith in this Christian church. That's why we swear oaths. Because of the work of the devil in our hearts. So how then, what's the manner in which we are to swear these oaths? Oaths are to be sworn upon the name of God, in the name of God only. Question 102. May we also swear by saints or any other creatures? No, for a lawful oath is calling upon God. Calling on God. We swear not on the name of saints, not on Peter's name, not on Mary's name, not on John's name, but we swear upon the name of God and the name of God only. Why? Must we call upon God's name when we swear an oath? The Catechism sets before us here several reasons why we are to call upon God's name. But before we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, there's one I want to give you from Hebrews 6, rather. The first reason why we swear upon God's name and God's name only is God's name is great. And there is no name greater than His name. That's Hebrews 6. First of all, verse 16. We read there, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. When we swear an oath... We do not swear an oath upon something that is inferior to us, something that is below us. We don't call upon a piece of dirt, a blade of grass, to hold us accountable when we swear an oath. But we call upon the name of someone who is greater than us. Men verily swear by the greater. Well, what then is the greater If we go back up a few verses to verse 13, Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. There is no name greater than the name of Jehovah God. That's what we had taught to us last week in the Catechism's explanation of the third commandment. 
that we are to treat the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and with reverence. The holy name of God is unique. It's uncommon. It is the revelation of the thrice holy God, the transcendent Jehovah unto us who are His people. And so we call upon that great name of God so that we might honor His name. That's why we call upon His name, to honor His name. The Catechism says that this honor is due unto no other creature. Again, remember what we said last week about the use of one's name. That if one's name should be used in a certain occasion but that name is overlooked, forgotten, how slighted we feel if our name was forgotten. If we contributed to something and then a thank you was given for all those who contributed, but they overlooked our name. How slighted we feel if our name is overlooked. How slighted God is if His name were to be overlooked in the swearing of an oath. We call upon His name because His name is great. And there is no name greater. Second, we call upon God's name because God knows. He knows. The catechism speaks of this. For a lawful oath, answer 102, is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart. Man might be able to judge outward actions. He can evaluate words, the orthodoxy or lack thereof. He can evaluate actions whether they are faithful unto the Word of God or not. But no man knows the heart except God. God knows all things. And so we call upon Him that He might then bear witness to the truth. That's the third reason why we call upon God's name so that He might bear witness to the truth. It's not just that God knows the truth and understands it perfectly and sees what is the application of it, but this also God bears witness to the truth. And that's important because at times men do not bear witness to the truth, and stand for the truth. It happens sometimes that men know the truth. They know what happened. And yet men refuse to stand up for truth. This happens when there are, let's say, a cover-up that's happening in some sort of institution. Maybe there's corruption that has made its way into this or that institution. God forbid, maybe there is corruption that 
has come within the church of Jesus Christ. And it is a temptation then at times like that when man recognizes that there is corruption in this institution simply to cover it up, pull a rug over what happened so that nobody else sees what actually happened. Knowing the truth is one thing, bearing witness to the truth is a different matter. God not only knows but he also bears witness to the truth. What a comfort this is to us if we feel that we have been slighted. Perhaps we have confessed something, said this is going on. And then we didn't get the response from others. We felt that it was ignored. Or overlooked. God knows. He bears witness to the truth. And then finally, why do we call on God's name? Because God is able to punish. And will punish me if I swear falsely. He punishes not just temporally, not just on this earth, but He punishes also everlastingly. For anyone who swears an oath and then who violates that oath, or for anyone who lies under oath, perjury, God will punish that individual both temporally and eternally. The only way then that we must make an oath is with utmost reverence for God. When we understand that we are calling upon Jehovah's name, to bear witness to the truth. We will never even think about doing this lightly or rashly, but with reverence. Let's unpack this a little bit. What does that mean? With reverence we call upon His name. This means, does it not, that we do so with understanding of what we are swearing. If we do not understand the oath that we are making, and if we do not understand what are the implications of this oath, then it really is not a reverent oath, is it? It's just words coming off of our lips. But without those words coming out of our heart and out of our soul. That's why it's so important then that the elders guard carefully who may become a member, who may confess their faith in this Christian church. The elders would prevent as much as possible anybody from confessing their faith in a church without actually understanding 
what that confession means. The trend in many churches today is to have younger and younger people confess their faith, make that oath publicly in the church. And so a caution must be sounded that if they are going to make confession of faith in the church, let them be at an age in life where they understand this oath and the implications of that oath within the church. Reverence with understanding. Second, to swear an oath with reverence means that our oath must be done in accord with the Word of God. Or to put it the other way, our oath must not contradict the Word of God. Never must we take an oath upon our lips which would contradict or renounce the Word of God. I understand in saying this that we must be careful about never saying anything that would renounce the Word of God. I understand that it's far easier to say that right now when there's no persecution, but it's going to be completely different when we are being tortured, whipped, when we are being held at gunpoint, and they ask us, to swear an oath never to call upon the name of God again. I understand. It's one thing to say I'm never going to swear such an oath during times of peace, but it's a completely different matter not to swear that oath when my life or when my children's lives are at stake. May God give us wisdom, strength from the Spirit at that time that we never make an oath which would contradict the Word of God. This is why so much of union membership must be rejected by the Christian requires swearing an oath to something that would contradict the Word of God, promising that I will strong-arm the employer into giving me what I want. We must not take oaths that contradict God's Word. And then to make an oath with reverence means that we do not do so flippantly or casually. And here now, this is a temptation, especially for children, it seems, young people, making a pinky promise to do this or to do that. Or, if we get caught doing something that was wrong, was sinful, and then this wave of guilt washes over us, that in situations like that, we are prone to make rash vows. I swear, I'll never do this again. I, I swear, it'll never happen again. We must be careful not to make oaths flippantly or casually, but with reverence.
The effect of swearing religiously by the name of God is that truth is revealed. That's why we swear oaths. If our yea was yea and our nay was nay, there would be, we said, no necessity for swearing an oath. But because there are times where man's word cannot be trusted, or because there are times where one man's word contradicts another man's word, it's necessary then that an oath be sworn in order to reveal truth. The individuals who are going to swear the oath must be taught what is the seriousness of this oath before they swear it. They must understand that they are calling upon the almighty name of the triune God who is and who was and who forever shall remain the almighty. They must understand that they are calling not just upon the men in the room to hold them accountable, but they are asking, I am that I am to hold them accountable. They must understand before they swear the oath that if they lie under oath, they are by taking that oath asking for God to punish them both temporally and eternally. And after having explained then the gravity of making an oath, the individual then makes his or her confession. And thereby, truth is revealed. But one says, Pastor, what if they still lie? What if even in that situation, when they understand full well the gravity of what they are doing, they still lie under oath. Then how is truth being revealed? Then truth is still being silenced. Truth is still having a rug pulled over it so that nobody knows what is truth. Then we must remember that there is a bigger purpose than simply revealing truth. And that's this, that God's name be glorified. We call upon His almighty name because there is no greater name in heaven above or in earth below. And we call upon Him because He knows the heart. He knows whether the one making the oath is speaking truth or whether the one making the oath is willfully lying. And God is no respecter of persons. Though earthly man comes under the influence of other men and wants to protect the character and the reputation of other earthly men, God is no respecter of persons. 
God does not care how influential this person is on the earth. God does not care how many followers this individual has upon the earth. But God will judge that individual according to His perfect law. And thereby God will be glorified. God is glorified in the fulfillment of His own oath. Not just when other men swear an oath calling upon His name is He glorified. But the Gospel is this. God is glorified in His own oath. God swear an oath. He made a promise unto Abraham. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. God swore an oath, and He swore it to His own hurt. We would say, humanly speaking, how did this oath hurt God? It cost Him. It cost Him His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. God promised Abraham that God would bless him and would multiply him and would gather from the spiritual offspring of Abraham God's children to Himself. To fulfill that vote, that oath, God gave up. His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, we flee to Thee for refuge. We lay hold upon the hope which is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast. Wilt Thou fill us with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, give us faithfulness to the oaths which we have sworn and which gladly we repeat. Forgive us where we have broken our vows. Cover them with the blood of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.